can we move from extraction and consumption and how long will it take? I hope that we'll be able to look back in this moment where waste and pollution became synonymous with our economy. It's really accelerated in the past sort of 60 years. I hope that we'll be able to look back on that as a blip because we've moved to something that is is regenerative and, and restorative and circular. We live and work in a world of interlocking systems where many of the problems we face are dynamic, multifaceted, and inherently human. We believe that design thinking can help solve these problems to provide answers, but big answers can only be found by asking big questions. Welcome to The Big Question, an IDEO podcast. I'm your host, Dietra Williamson. This is Dietria, and in this episode of The Big Question, we're joined by Chris Grantham, Executive Director, Circular Economy at IDEO, and our very special guest who is on a mission for us to have a better planet, Joe Isles, Circular Design Program Lead at Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and one of the creators of the Disruptive Innovation Festival, to explore the big question today for how might we create the conditions for designing a radically different restorative and regenerative business model? First, tell us a little bit about yourselves and how did you two meet? Well, hi, I'm Joe. I'm the Circular Design Program Lead at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, as, as you just said, Dietria. And my role there is to really try and inspire and equip the world's designers. And we believe there are a lot of designers in the world. There are a lot of people who influence the way that we make and use things and ultimately influence the way that our economy works. And my role is really to try and inspire and, and engage those, those designers and creators to shift their practice towards a circular economy, helping to build a more circular and regenerative economy. Thanks, Joe. And Chris, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I'm so I'm stuck out here in some Sussex at the moment, which is uh, looking very nice and autumnal. But usually, you know, pre-pandemic certainly was working in uh, in London, which is where I met Joe about five years ago now. And I'll never forget meeting Joe because Joe uh, walked in with his uh, his boss, and I was with my boss, and and Joe looked more like a designer than than I did, basically. And it looks more like a designer than most designers look like. So I think Joe was always destined to lead the, the circular design program at uh, the foundation. So we've been really sort of having fun, trying to figure out how on earth we scale circular design and and, and this idea of a restorative and, and regenerative economy. And so a lot of my time is spent really trying to figure out, you know, how we create the conditions for organizations to really adopt those principles at scale and help, I suppose, IDEA reflect on the craft, if you like, of circular design. Uh, so it's a sort of bit of a kind of dual role and it's a very much an evolving and, you know, a field of, of many opinions. So it's it's a really fun area to work and, and, and one in which, you know, we can't pretend to have all the answers at all, but one in which we're seeing a lot of progress, you know, all the time. And that's really exciting. And if, if I could just uh, add to that, that, that first meeting was was one of, I guess, it exposed our sort of preconceptions about what we thought each other's organization did. 
And I remember speaking to you, Chris, about packaging design. And there's something that Ellen MacArthur Foundation has worked quite a lot in is, is around eliminating the problem of plastic packaging pollution. And we were quite interested in how tiny design tweaks could make a big impact, like the way that a, a ring pull on an aluminium drinks can years ago, that would become completely detached and would be a, a waste problem, a tiny piece of waste. But at some point, someone made the smart decision to keep that ring pull attached to the can so that you just have one piece of aluminium. And those are the types of tiny industrial design tweaks that my boss and I were quite keen to talk to IDEO about. But, but quite quickly, Chris sort of explained, well, design is much bigger than that. We're talking about the design of services, the design of organizations and of ecosystems, really. And it's taken me and I think others who are interested in the circular economy quite a few years to, to truly understand how deep the iceberg goes on that. You know, it's interesting hearing just how far back Ellen MacArthur Foundation and IDEO go back. And I've also heard both of you talk quite a bit about really this theme of needing a break from linear business models, these business models of the past. I'm sure everyone would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So really the, the linear economy, this take make waste model was something that it hasn't been around forever, but as far as we're concerned, it really is the dominant form of the dominant model by which our economy runs. So it's been around pretty much since the, the industrial revolution where we, as, a, as an economy, as a society, we got really good at extracting materials and energy from the ground, making them into things that we want to need using things like the production line and and advertising and cheap credit to make that all work. And we convinced ourselves that we could chuck things away when we didn't want them anymore or didn't need them anymore. And we didn't have to worry about the consequences. And with that model, it did enable many people, billions of people throughout the past few hundred years to have some amazing things and not just sort of luxury things or, 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 or indulgent things, but but medicines and, and healthier food and a roof over their head and warm clothes and um, communication technology, transport. So that linear model, whilst we could ignore some of the negatives or the limits of that model, it kind of worked for raising the living standards of, of, of many people. But the thing that's changed now is really our awareness and how confronted we are by the limits of that model. So we know that resources are finite. We know that if we degrade and pollute and extract continuously, that we can't run from the consequences. And we can sense, I think, that there is also a yearning from society for something better, for something that is more enriching than this endless linear chain of extraction and consumption. So that's really a big picture scale why we need a break from linear models, as you say. Chris, would you agree with that? Yes, I most definitely would. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, you don't get so much a sense of this if you just read the FT and you just exist in a in a sort of corporate echo chamber. But I think, you know, what you're really seeing is two quite distinct paradigms, one emergent and one dominant sort of existing in the world at the moment when it comes to really 
the purpose of the you know the economy and and and, and the role of business. And I think you, you've got this sort of you know the known model that we have, which we've been trying to make you know more efficient. You know the the sort of bending that linear economy you know, in ways that can kind of make it more sustainable. And so you see a lot of companies talking about using circularity or sustainability to, there's a lot of quick wins where they're sort of building new efficiencies in their business by, by being less wasteful. But ultimately, these are, you know, some little detours for material flows in an ultimately sort of linear direction still, unfortunately. You know, we know that plastic pollution is still you know mounting in the world just to take one problem so there is a sort of a tension i suppose between the efforts to make the industrial machine sort of less bad and your question you know was about how you know how do we create a regenerative and restorative business model well that is a clearly distinct break from the the prevailing system the system that you know many are trying to make more efficient and less and less polluting. And that's distinct break. And you see it more in, in, in small business communities, in, in communities, in, in, in cities, innovation is really looking to build a different, distinctly different, different shape, different culture around growth, essentially, and, and how business needs to be successful in society to, in order to be restorative and regenerative. So there is this, these two distinct paradigms. And I think that what we'll see over the next 10 years is much more clamor around, you know, we're not going far enough, fast enough. And we, we need to move away from this more sort of evolutionary perspective of let's keep tweaking the model, let's keep tweaking the model, making it better, more efficient, to radically different models, which is the question you posed. And I think that's in this sense, we're not going far enough, fast enough, will put an increasing spotlight on what the alternative is and 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 we'll I think we'll see a much more revolutionary perspective on 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 what needs to happen to business and that that's an interesting tension we have at the moment. It sounds like this can be daunting and overwhelming for leaders and for organizations. Joe, talk to us a little bit about how can organizations actually do this really you know beyond their fringes and is this scalable? Well. The thing, the point about the circular economy, is, as as we see it, is that it's it's absolutely scalable. Or the solutions that that we need right now to match the scale and the, the urgency of the challenges that we face, they really need to be scalable. So they need to be connected by this common vision of of what a circular economy is. And and to reiterate, that's an economy where we move, go from take make waste to eliminate, circulate, regenerate. So eliminate waste and pollution from the outset, circulate products and materials at their highest value for as long as possible, and regenerate nature. Put back at least as much as you take out from from natural systems and make sure that they can continue to provide the things we need into the future. So that is a vision that we believe works anywhere. The exact solutions that are relevant for Zimbabwe will be different for those for Tokyo. But we believe that those principles of eliminate, circulate, regenerate are applicable anywhere. And and that's kind of key to scaling solutions that are fit for their context. So I think that's worth just stating up front. In terms of how companies can, leaders can get started, I mean, it is a tricky one. And I think Chris and I have often debate this because what we're seeing now, as, as Chris touched upon, is that... Uh, a lot of organizations are 
kind of basing their circular economy exploration out of some of the more traditional sustainability and efficiency departments, which is totally an understandable place to start. It might be where there is some existing expertise and, and projects in something like recycling or using uh, waste as a resource. What's challenging then is to really move upstream. So the, the key here is not, we're not in a, in a true circular economy, we're not talking about designing from waste, about, about just making use of waste, but talking about designing out waste. So trying to make sure that waste no longer exists. And if we, if we invest in and establish processes or practices that depend on waste, then provocatively, you could say that those models encourage us to be wasteful, that, they, that they, they, they require us not rethinking the system further upstream, not eliminating waste, but, but continuing to create it because we've simply legitimized it. So it is challenging to move upstream. I would say a great way to get started is to try and understand the wider system. And, and that extends beyond just one particular material or one particular product, but can be the, the system that surrounds an organization with customers, with the natural environment, where resources come from or where products might end up, maybe with an ecosystem of third-party actors that uh, might interact with your product or your service and trying to think about the way in which you operate as a business as part of an ecosystem, which can be regenerated and, 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 and restored. It can be, you can support the health of that ecosystem in order to support the health of your, your business. And, and that might sound a bit abstract. And as Chris alluded to, it's quite different to the way that a lot of businesses think at the moment. But I think it's that systems thinking is really key to spotting the right opportunities and intervention points. Well, Joe, you mentioned earlier that there were some parts of that that you and Chris might debate. And, you know, it all sounds good to me. So, Chris, where are some of the areas where there's a healthy debate within healthy debate. what Joe just shared? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, obviously, no one can predict the future. So, you know, there are different theories of change, you know, based on sort of, you know, reasonable assumptions about how change happens. And no one quite knows, of course, what's going to kind of win out. And, and, and the truth of it is, is probably we need to be working at multiple ends of this, you know, we've already referenced this sort of upstream, downstream areas of innovation, you know, downstream of, you know, re really sort of fundamentally kind of redesigning the model, but then moving upstream based on this momentum, easier business cases, yeah, you could argue that that's a, you know a path based on building momentum, building movement, building scale, and I think you know that may well be an approach that that works. I suppose we've seen corporates who've been in, involved with circular economy innovation for maybe a decade sort of scale the kind of like you know the outer loops, if you like, or the or the sort of more downstream efforts, uh, you know, shifting from you know some some shift from product to services to better kind of utilize those products and increase their sort of circulation and, and, and reuse. But, you know, on the, on the whole, they're still struggling to kind of make that leap to being kind of, you know, really regenerative businesses. And on the other end, as I, as I said, you know, the more upstream 
innovators tend to be sort of you know really quite small more sort of almost artisanal kinds of businesses so you know there's not necessarily the the proof yet there yet that those models can be really scaled and there are some you know questioning whether we can and should expect to have economic growth in quite the same levels and i think you know if we're being truly kind custodians to the planet but you know what we probably need to do is, is come at it from both ends and and uh, you know encourage organizations to you know, as Joe was alluding to, to, to have a journey in mind. You know, I think all too often the circular economy is almost like a downstream a product strategy, if you like, rather than being core to how the business thinks about creating shared value and, and, and its, you know, perspective on growth. And, and as those, you know, as we, we need businesses to start to adopt these, these ecosystem perspectives in the sense that, I mean, unfortunately, it's, it is a bit more complex, but, you know, businesses that are, really have a vision for how they can create drive systems of circulation, not necessarily dominate them, but grow these ecosystems of circulation when it comes to materials in the economy and probably have more blended business models, probably um, you know, monetize essentially creating abundance out there, uh, abundance in the sense of you know, increasing the, the exchanges of material flows, building data and monetizing data around those flows, building new infrastructure, new kinds of partnerships, including, of course, pre-competitively, so that we can use materials that are renewable and from and, and also from regenerative sources. So you're trying to build this different kind of economy that essentially works a bit more like a circulation economy, where the value is in the, is in the, the system health and the amount of flows we're able to generate and of value being kind of created and shared. I think that kind of vision, you know, businesses need to build those, those visions, you know, and that's got to be exciting and it's got to feel credible. It's got to feel like it could link to what they're good at and give them an advantage in the future because of that. And so these, these visions have to be built. And then I think we can feel more relaxed about some of these more sort of earlier steps uh, where, you know, there are strong business cases, for example, in the shift from product to services. But as long as their vision is in place and as long as, they have a roadmap and, and, and a purpose that says, let's keep building towards this bigger pot of value that we can see on the horizon. Then I think we're in a sort of, we're in an okay place. I think it's when businesses don't have that, that vision to kind of keep growing to a, to a more regenerative model. And I think that's always the challenge. I think just, just a word on the, that vision's point, I think it's hugely important. And, and as Chris said, is we certainly agree that moving people Getting people thinking upstream is is absolutely important. I think one of the key methods or um, approaches to that can help with that is about setting a vision and, and aligning around a vision of the type of future you want to create. And just one short example that we talk about is around electric vehicles. So in some countries, uh, especially a life cycle assessment, um, so measuring the impact of the design and creation and manufacturing of an electric vehicle would suggest that it actually might be a bad idea because the mining and the manufacturing of the batteries and charging it sometimes not via renewable energy means that on a, on a life cycle assessment, it actually looks unfavorable compared with a combustion engine. But most people would agree that the vision, the future that we, we want to move towards is one of electrified cleaner, safer, quieter mobility. But if you just used the data, the metrics, you might just end up trying to make the existing model more efficient. So 
sometimes the tools that we try and apply today to help people get started, so data and measurement, they're good for making decisions in today's system, but they don't help make the, the leaps to get to a new type of system. And that's where, where visions, I think, and, and, and compelling visions of what the future could look like and the steps we might actually have to take to get there, that's where those can play a really vital role. So Joe, you and Chris both have mentioned a couple of times now that there's this need for a shift from products to services in order to make this leap. Can you talk a little bit more about how to do that? Yeah, well, I think just a, a, a word on why that might be important. I think if we think about the, the circular economy, we know that the way that we make and use things has a huge impact on resource use, on the climate. Around 55% of emissions can be addressed by energy efficiency and renewable energy, but about 45% of emissions uh, come from how we make and use things, how we produce food, and how we manage our land. And those can't really be addressed just through renewables and efficiency. That part of the climate change challenge requires new business models, new um, ways to make things, new behaviours, new relationships between people and stuff, essentially. And from moving from product to service uh, is an example of that. So when we think about uh, a product like uh, a laptop, I say because it's the closest thing in front of me, we would you might hear today that a company wants to get their laptops back and return them to their their material level so they can make a new laptop. Well, that's fine, but in effect, you're stripping away all of the value that you added to those materials, all that embodied energy and carbon that you added to turn those materials into a laptop in the first place, all the effort that went to get it in my home here and, and in use today. So that's why we say these higher value strategies in a circular economy are the ones that target the inner loops where you can really keep that item in circulation you can preserve the integrity of the things that we use so where product to service comes in is if a company could rather than just selling a product outright uh, and waving goodbye to the customer and, and hoping maybe planning for them to come back in a few years time to buy another one what if instead they could sell the performance of the product just sell the thing that the customer needs, like computing power or light from a lighting service or mobility from a, from a car or public transport service. And in that respect, the ownership of those assets would remain with the people who would produce them. That changes the incentive somewhat so that that manufacturer is now incentivized to create something that does a good job and lasts for as long as possible and hopefully can be repaired and upgraded for longer. Because if they can do that, then they can keep that product in service and have an economic advantage because they don't have to make a new product every time they want to deliver value to a customer. So that's why we talk about moving from product to service. And there are a bunch of ways to do that through, through things like rental and leasing, sharing models, digital services, or perhaps even looking at things like incentivized return of products and so on. Just to build on that, I mean, that's essentially that increasing the utilization of what we have because we can bring more people to it, whether that's a service I provide to you as a customer because you have things that I can help you utilize, you know, if I'm a, a recirculator or, or because you want, you want access to something that you don't actually really need to own and I can provide that to you. 
that offers a you know, very strong business case to companies to to move into the circular economy. I think the challenge then is, you know, how, wh- where do we go from there? Because we have to go somewhere from there. You know, we can't just say, okay, great, well, we'll, you know, circulate this stuff, you know, for as much as we can, but after it's kind of useful life, we'll just kind of dump it in the trash. So, you know, you can see clearly there's a wider system we need to take account of. What are those materials in those products? Wherever they come from, what, what, how are we supporting a system that is having a regenerative impact on the world? Perhaps an agricultural system that's supplying raw materials for those products. So we need to think of what are these material pathways that we want as a society and how do we drive those as responsible producers? And that's when we need to start thinking in terms of, or where it really helps to start thinking in terms of ecosystems, you know, that can provide good quality, you know, renewable or regeneratively sourced inputs into our production processes and then the materials on to a wider system of, of, of use uh, that in the circular economy terms is a bit geeky. We talk about cascades of value, but clearly those materials can go on even back to the anatomical level through being broken down and, and resupplied to the beginning of production processes. So that whole system we need to start you know, designing and only will really the world be able to tackle things like climate change and once we stand up that more end-to-end vision of a regenerative economy, because unfortunately, if we're just growing the sort of less bad where we're doing just parts of that system, the growth of a very less bad economy is, is, is the growth of a very bad economy in terms of our future prospects. So that wider system picture, as, as we've been saying, is, is very important. You know, what I'm taking from this is that ultimately, it sounds like we need to reshape value. And do you both agree that we are actually invested enough in doing that? Organizations, leaders, communities, are we invested enough in actually reshaping this value? It's a good point. I think you're probably getting to the, the, the heart of the issue here. I think there's, and there are a few ways to cut that. I think one way would be to say, well, over what time scale are we thinking that we provide value or create value? We did a, a report um, a couple of years ago on the food system. And one of the headlines from that study was that the health costs from the way that we produce food is about equal to the health costs that are caused by things like obesity and malnutrition. Uh, And the reason behind that is that we produce food in a very linear way. We use large amounts of of fertilizer, pesticide, hormones, releases huge amounts of emissions. So even when someone tries to make a healthy choice for an individual food product, like a salad, the way that that product is actually created is causing societal health problems that are are detrimental to that individual. So I I share that example because I think it it chimes nicely with, with the piece Chris was saying, which is, are there healthy choices if the overall system is unhealthy. And, and when you take that view, I hope, and what we're, when we're seeing more companies and business leaders saying, well, how can we actually contribute to creating a healthy system overall in which we do contribute to the health and well-being of our customers, of society, sometimes not directly through the product that we're offering, but through something bigger, through, through the creation of a healthier ecosystem. So in that respect, yes, I, I think it is about sort of redefining value and, and, and redefining the role that 
brands play in, in society. Yeah, I think that's the kind of, I don't want to say the scary thing, but it's like, you know, that it's at that level, I think we have to think of really what our values are, you know, value, values, what is value? But it comes down to that. We can't just expect to have, you know, sort the problem out with technical solutions, which sort of take their eye off, like how we've got into this mess in the first place. Like, what did we stop kind of caring about? I mean, it is bizarre that, I think for many businesses, and this is just a paradigm problem, it's, it's just a way, it's a mindset issue, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. Not many businesses would question whether the world is better off that they're there. And not many businesses would question, that would, would think it perverse, that they, rather than starting from a place, because no one is starting from scratch, I guess, but rather than starting from a place where you, you say, you know, how can I have a regenerative impact? You sort of We've sort of come got to the point of society where we're generally accepting of the idea that, yeah, well, you know, this is a business. Of course, it's going to have these, as we've come to understand them, negative impacts on the world. So we've got to a kind of place where we have some very sort of perverse logic going on, I think. And, and I think that's the challenge. If we, if we don't, we won't address that kind of weird logic unless we address our, our values. And so, yeah, we have to kind of, I think, think about what value is and, we're talking about all forms of value here. There's no point in having a system where we have, you know, a technical solution uh, to material waste, but, you know, millions of people feeling, feeling disempowered economically, uh, billions of people feeling disempowered economically, and, and just feeling that they're not stakeholders in, in, in a system that's good for them. So the idea of a sort of circulation economy, I think, is, is really key here. Circulation of many forms of value. The forest analogy is something that we, we often bring up, but it's, it's really powerful because, you know, I think you, you can imagine a system where you have big, successful organizations within a circular economy, as well as, well as small ones. If you think of big trees, little trees in the, uh, big trees in the forest, there are little trees as well. The big trees, yes, take up an awful lot of nutrients from the system. But their contribution to the system is enormous. You know, they're the ones sucking the renewable, if you like, products or nutrients out of their, their, their solar energy systems, if you like, pumping that into the forest system, producing an enormous amount of materials for the forest to produce and reproduce, if you like, the goods that they need from. So you can imagine these big contributors being highly successful as long as they're playing a healthy role in the overall ecosystem. Now, we can take this at almost any given scale, whether it's, you know, in your village, in your industry, or, you know, at a global kind of level, we all have to be contributing to the system, uh, the system health as actors within the system. And that's a big shift in the way we, we think, you know, in Western society, you know, as business people, we tend to start off with ourselves at the center. You know, we've been taught to kind of dominate you know, business schools, you know, pat you on the back, you know, if you can devise ventures that extract maximum, you know, uh, value, um, you know, value capture is, you know, the big thing. But actually, value exchange, value circulation, these become incredibly important qualities to circular economies. And they are driven by or what, what may allow us to see them is when we start to if you like, disrupt our values system about what good looks like. And that's why the forest analogy is very, very powerful because it plays with our intuitions a bit about how we can be successful.
Well, and how, you know, again, I think this goes back to all of this feeling somewhat daunting. And I think to use your word, Chris, scary. I, I do think it's scary. So how, how do we encourage companies to get started? I know the incredible work, obviously, that's coming through and, and from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and also, you know, certainly what we're doing at IDEO. But how can you get a bit more granular for us? How do we encourage companies to get started and see their role in this? Well, I think we've touched upon the importance of you, of having a vision of the, the, the future that a company or a leader might want to build. I think we've also touched a, a bit on the dynamic between the product, the, the service and the wider system, which I think is does have a, a real role to play in when getting started with designing for a circular economy. Companies will sometimes design a product that is durable and repairable, and then they notice that it's not reaching its potential because it's the, the, the service or the business model wasn't in place to keep that product in use for longer. So that dynamic between a durable and repairable product, for example, and a, a performance or a service-based business model is being explored by more people now. And then the wider system, which enables or encourages perhaps companies to design products in a certain way or incentives for customers to purchase secondhand clothing or, or repaired electronic devices. Th those sorts of more systemic uh, conditions are coming into play as well. So thinking through and, and, and innovating at those different levels is another important part of, of, of both getting started and that journey towards designing for a circular economy. I think another really important piece is surrounding the problem. We see this often with upstream innovations that the key uh, actors need to collaborate. And this is something we hear all the time. It's a bit sort of cliched now, but we're seeing some real success with a project from our fashion work called the Jeans Redesign, in which we brought together around 70 of those key actors from the jeans, the denim value chain, to put them in a room together and ask them to agree the, the baseline, the standard for genes to work in a more circular economy. So that relates to things like traceability, to uh, material selection, to, to design, dyeing, and so on. That led to a, a project around genes where many of the world's largest fashion companies have designed a line of genes that are based on these standards. And they all meet this kind of baseline for design for, for, for circular genes. But above that baseline, they can compete in the same way on fashion, on price, on availability as, as they have in the past. So I think those examples of, of surrounding the problem and, and identifying pre-competitive opportunities are also a, a good way to, to get started. They seem quite hard and often upstream innovations and interventions are quite hard. They, take, they might take a bit longer, but they are where we can have lasting impact. And they're also where maybe some of the risk is, is minimized because it feels like the industry is moving forward together rather than uh, one or two pioneers striking out on their own. So th that Jeans Redesign project is one where we're really seeing the benefit of brands collaborating together, yes, but in, a, in quite an unprecedented way. Yeah, so just building on that thought of 
and how companies get started. And I totally agree with with all that Joe was saying, and that's it's so important um, what, what he what he was talking about. I think just as a few other bits and pieces, I think that going back to the importance of the, of, of the vision, you know, they have to have a stretch vision, an ambitious vision for you know their future value creating strategy as an organization that can be restorative and regenerative in the world. And that is starting to imagine themselves in business ecosystems that have that function. And I think that that's really about saying, okay, who are our customers going to be and what value, how are we going to create value for them? Really, really sort of those basic questions, but in the context of, of, of using principles of circularity to create values, value for those customers. And that I think does mean going back to that, you know, look, look for analogies like the forest where we can say, you know, how do we build these, these great circulating systems, these systems of real abundance by thinking about, you know, how do we make uh, you know, the, the core materials more interoperable? How do we um, open source know-how? You know, how do we build these, these networks that are, that are able to very intelligently, you know, distribute materials to, to, to where there are markets? How do we think about these ingenious partnerships that we see in nature that can help us move products around and, 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 and repurpose them and all of that stuff? So I think forest is a, an endlessly useful analogy when thinking about those future visions, then having a way to position that as a customer back, a, you know, a, a business value driven, a customer value driven strategy to the organization is incredibly important. And, and being able to use a design mindset to kind of get to that vision, even when it's, we're talking about senior, you know, quite dry sort of strategy folks and strategy processes, it has to be infused with a kind of design driven approach so that the organization can, can really build that, that future vision and make that story compelling and then really feel their way to, to, to understanding where value lies and what the enablers are to get there by designing stuff and getting it out there, right? And I think that's the only really way that, that, that organizations are finding that they can, they can truly understand the path because of the complexity. You know, so that, that's interesting. And I want to go back to something that Joe was originally talking about in terms of denim when you were sharing that case around denim who do you find in the world is doing a great job with this are there industries companies who do you think out there is really paving the way yeah well i think we've spoken a bit about the fashion industry and there are uh, many great examples within the fashion industry with some of the larger brands like h&m and uh, zalando who are are pretty aggressively exploring new ways of doing things, such as renting products rather than owning them, changing the material selection in their products, trying to make products that do last longer. As Chris outlined earlier, these are the kind of big trees of our industries, our, our economies. These are the major players. They can be a huge part of the solution. It will take time, but they absolutely have the the resources to direct towards these challenges. I think we're also seeing a lot of progress in packaging. Again, it's a hugely problematic and wasteful system, which we, uh, which is why one of the reasons why the Ellen MacArthur Foundation uh, got into that space to try and shift that sy system. But we we see company like Tesco in the UK eliminating a shrink wrap around four pack of tinned tomatoes. That is a very subtle design tweak, a bit like the ones I mentioned at the start of the, the conversation. 
but it, it's eliminated billions of pieces of plastic. And then fortunately, there are countless startups following as well with, with even more radical solutions like Club Zero, uh, another UK-based startup who have, have actually been part of an IDO, open IDO challenge as well to uh, reinvent the takeaway cup. Uh, for coffee so that it can be uh, part of a reuse system. So fashion and, and, and packaging, there's, there's a, a huge amount of innovation going on. What I just want to give a call out to as well is the food industry. So, and this is one that, that excites me perhaps the most. We've, we've had a, a system in the past where we have bent nature to provide the food that we want with pretty catastrophic outcomes. Now we're and farmers and, and chefs and uh, food designers are talking about how they can create food that is positive for nature. So focusing on biodiverse ingredients and low impact ingredients, upcycling byproducts. I love Toast Ale, uh, a company here in the, also here in the UK that use leftover bread. About over 40% of bread is wasted uh, in, the, in, in the UK. And some of that can be collected and used to brew beer, which is of subject very close to my heart. And of course, regenerative sourcing of, of ingredients as well. So food is an area that's ripe for, di for disruption uh, and circular design for food is an area where we're seeing a lot of people getting involved in, and launching new uh, experiments. Chris and Joe, thank you so much. You have left the listeners with so much. Speaking of abundance, I would say that this definitely is an episode of abundance in terms of what we all can do and the charge that we leave for companies on, on how to get started. I'm curious, what big question keeps you up at night? Well, for me, it's can we move from extraction and consumption and how long will it take? I hope that we'll be able to look back in this moment where waste and pollution became synonymous with our economy. It's really accelerated in the past sort of 60 years. I hope that we'll be able to look back on that as a blip because we've moved to something that is, is regenerative and, and restorative and circular. But that's the question that keeps me up at night. And what about you, Chris? The truth is, you know, this, this, this question I mentioned earlier, are we going far enough, fast enough, is, is something I think about a lot and you know as i said you know sometimes the pace of change you know has to be has to be comfortable if we want to drive it at scale but also we need to be challenging ourselves on the depth you know i often ask myself you know personally i think we all have to ask ourselves personally you know what are we do what are we going to do next you know how are we being the change and it's it's a really fine line when you're in your organization and you know we are all to an extent beholden to the system we're trying to change and that's that's a very uncomfortable process and I think that uh, I believe we will get there because I think we've humanity has proved when we've needed to, we have got together and figured really difficult things out. And so I think that I'm, I'm going to hold on to that hope. And I believe that we will start to see, to Joe's point earlier, and a different scale of, of collaboration around these issues over the next 10 years. I certainly hope so. Well, thank you so much to both of you, Joe, for this charge for for communities, for business leaders to have a new vision. And really, your message resonated in terms of 
making sure that we establish a new relationship between people and stuff. That's great for our listeners to hear. And Chris, the reminder for us to all be kind custodians of the planet. Thank you so much for being with IDEO today and answering our big question of how might we create the conditions for designing a radically different restorative and regenerative business model. Thank you, Joe and Chris. Thank you. The Big Question is brought to you by IDEO. To find out more about us and how we create positive impact through design, head to IDEO.com. And then make sure to search for The Big Question an Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at IDEO, thanks for listening.